Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, for those of you who are new or visiting or watching on, uh, online um, uh, and are not normally here, we're going back today to the series we're teaching through the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And we're nearing the end of the epistle. Um, and uh, today we will be looking at the first not yet, but in a moment or two, we'll be looking at the first nine verses of chapter six, which in some ways, you'll, you'll see when we get there, is a, is a tricky passage. And so that's why I want to start this morning with the context. So the context, Neil, if you could put the first slide up, is going back towards the end of chapter five of Ephesians, uh, where Paul says this, to them and the Holy Spirit says this to us today. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. There you are. That's a good, that's a good thought, isn't it? Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, look, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now what I've done here in the text is underlined four phrases that come after that because the context really is important. In the Greek... When Paul says the command, be filled, continually go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, he then says, doing four things. Four things all come out of that. Four things are all a fruit, a manifestation, a living out of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they are these, despite the way the English translation may put it, it's all together. And despite what you may have in your own Bible, if you have a, a subheading that, that, sp that splits it up at the end, it shouldn't be there. These are all together. Take my word for it. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, first of all, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Actually, in the Greek, it says speaking, not singing. It says speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So at the end of a coffee, don't talk to one another. Sing to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In other words, it's talking about our communication and fellowship together, being of encouragement and life and joy. That's good, isn't it? Isn't that a fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Not just that I feel nice, but that I can encourage you in whatever situation you're in, speaking to one another or singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Secondly, and making music to the Lord in your heart. This is worship, worship to God. Making music in your heart to the Lord. And isn't it wonderful? Aren't we grateful to God for those gifted, anointed people some of whom were on the stage this morning, who lead us and help us to do that. Are we grateful for that? Can we show it? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Today and all the others who serve us in that way. But we make music to... It's really important. And, and, and we don't need convincing of that because we... We do it all the time, but we can get familiar with the whole point of it. And the point is we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And out of the abundance of the heart, what does the mouth do? It speaks and sings and shouts and praises and prophesies. Amen, amen. And thirdly, giving thanks for everything to God. I have now started to make a practice just in my own prayer life every day. Of first of all thinking, 
God, what am I most grateful to you for since the last time I prayed like this? Usually in the last day, say. What am I most grateful for? There may be lots of things some days. There are other days where I'm thinking, help. Is there anything I'm grateful for? But actually, it is really a good spiritual practice to ask that question. What am I most grateful to God for in the last 24 hours or however long? Give, and it's a fruit of the Spirit coming out of that. And look, and the point of this today is that the last ing, the doing bit, says this, not separate section in his letter, and also submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Speak to one another in encouragement. Sing to God in worship. Give thanks to God for everything constantly and submit to one another. If we are not living in increasingly in those aspects of spiritual life and church community, then there is a question mark over whether we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we are being filled with the Holy Spirit, those things will come out and it substantially includes submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Two weeks ago, Theo, you were dealing here with the next section after this, which then, because Paul then goes on to then pick up the context of his day and about households within the Christian community. Households. Therefore, he talks to husbands and wives. And today we're thinking about children and parents and slaves and masters, the context of his day. But what he's saying, first of all, sets the scene and is vitally important for us to understand. That we are called, all of us, to submit to one another. Not some people to submit to some others but all of us to submit to one another. Now you say, oh, that's nice and equal and fair. How do we do it? Yeah, that's why Paul goes into some detail. He's not flattening out the roles and saying there's no differences between husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves, masters, but he is saying within the body of Christ there is equality. Substantial, total equality. Equality of worth. We are all created in the image of God. Equality of salvation, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And equality of relationship, because in Christ there is now neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. No matter what your social status is named as or looks like, in Christ there is no difference whatsoever. So Paul here, let's be clear, Paul here is not at this moment, calling for a rebellion in society. He's not looking, for example, for slaves. He's not telling slaves here who have become Christians to rise up in revolt against their masters or against the empire system at the time. He's not calling for a rebellion in society. He's calling for a revolutionary change of heart. Now, out of that should come change in society, change towards justice. But that is not the first and foremost thing. If you read history and all sorts of 
um, situations, when revolutions have happened, what often invariably happens is that one form of tyranny is replaced by an even worse form of tyranny. Because there's been no change of heart. There's just been a change of structure which has replaced the tyrants at the top. And so he's not talking about anyone controlling or owning anybody else. He's talking about submitting to one another. Now, John Stott, famous Bible teacher, who's gone to be with the Lord uh, uh, now, but he wrote uh, in reference to this, he says, actually, when I think about it, he says, um, you could sum up the bit about husbands and wives, you could sum it up in four words, because the, and, and take them out of the passage. You, you could sum it up and say, wives submit, husbands love. Those four words come up in the next section. He said, but uh, when I stop and think about it, What actually is the difference between submit and love? To submit to someone is to give oneself up for them. And in his description of love, like Christ has loved us, it is to give oneself up for someone. And he says, and it made me stop and think when I read this, that there is actually no difference between submitting and and loving. And so we could, how about this? Here's a thought, you may disagree. You could rewrite Ephesians 5. Wives love your husbands. Husbands submit to your wives. Oh, there's a discussion over lunch today for husbands and wives. But the point makes us think, hold on a minute. What am I talking about? What sort of example am I following? I'm following the example of Jesus or called to follow that Um, And the radical message in this and the subsequent passage, the radical message at the time was to husbands, to parents, and to masters. That was the radical message because the wives, the children, and the slaves, they didn't have any rights anyway. They were literally by law merely the possession of those Men in control. And so Paul addresses them first, unheard of. He addresses the wives before the husbands. He addresses the children before the fathers or parents. He addresses the slaves before the masters. He's elevating them to a place of honor, importance, and equality. Okay, now we'll look. Have we got the context? Do you get this? that out of being filled with the Holy Spirit, these four things should be emerging, manifesting, showing themselves. And, uh, and if we've sort of not cottoned on to that because of the way our Bible has been subdivided, then let's uh, look at it again and think really carefully about it. Uh, and so we praise God for his word, by the way. We praise God for his word. And, and we we try and honestly grapple with the truth and challenge of God's Word, taking the context of the day into consideration when this was written and to whom, and not taking our scissors and cutting out bits that don't look as if they apply anymore, slaves and stuff like that, maybe, 
but instead asking, Lord, what is the timeless, eternal principle here of your word that does apply to us today, regardless of our circumstances and social structures? So let's read the first nine verses, Neil, of chapter 6. Children, shame they're all away on the weekend away, isn't it? They'll have to listen to this again. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. And so very quickly, or relatively quickly, if we could just go back to the previous slide. Thank you, Neil. Um, Let's just say a word or two about each of the four categories. Children, fathers, stroke parents, um, slaves, and masters, stroke bosses, if you like, today. Employers, perhaps. Children. Now, this word to children, again, Paul is elevating them to a place of importance, which, which ran absolutely counter-culturally in the Roman Empire. Children, when they were unwanted, they were abandoned, literally abandoned to die at birth. When they were sick or disabled, they were killed. And even those that were wanted and healthy were seen as an inconvenience and a, a hindrance to sexual promiscuity and easy divorce. That was the context of children. They were tolerated and looked after by slaves um, rather than parents being utterly involved with loving them. Now, Paul is elevating them because, of course, Jesus set this example. So let's just, just remind ourselves, Neil, if we jump on to the next Okay, Jesus said these things. Remember when the disciples tried to prevent the children interrupting the meeting? (laughs) And he said, no, 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 don't don't stop them. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on, on their heads and blessed them. You see the value, even to the disciples 
they were like, oh, okay, we didn't expect you to treat children like this. This was not the way it was done. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, and anyone talking to us and those who follow him, anyone who welcomes a little child like this in my name is welcoming me. So you see the absolute importance, value, and centrality of children. Back to the, the, the Ephesians 6 bit about children. Now, there's three reasons that Paul gives here that children should obey their parents. First of all, it's the right thing to do. If you want stable families and stable society, children, you need to obey your parents. Now, of course, there's all sorts of provisos here about, about safety and abuse and all the rest. There isn't time to go into that. I'm just laying a sort of general background to this. Secondly, God commanded it. So it's the right thing to do. Secondly, God commanded it. One of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. And thirdly, connected with that, that commandment is a promise that you will be blessed if you do it. There's a promise of blessing. Um, Back in the time of Moses, when the commandments were given, it was that you will be blessed in the land, the promised land that I will give you. And here, Paul has sort of adapted it, you see, and says, and you will have a long life on the earth. So there's a promise of blessing and good long life on the earth. Well, there are three good reasons to honor your father and mother. And one of the questions that I'll leave with you to think about, talk about, is this. How can we, children of all ages, honor our father and mother? How can we do that? How should we do that in practice? Even if your parents are no longer alive, how to honor? What does it mean? What could we do? Have a think about that. Now, parents, moving on to parents. I say parents because although it says fathers here, I think we can validly extrapolate this to fathers and mothers and parents. But on the other hand, <laughs> um, there is maybe something particular about fathers not provoking their children to anger. <laughs> um, we're very good at that, aren't we, as dads? Oh, no, it's just me. <laughs> Who's admitting to this? Um, some of your translations may say, fathers, don't exasperate your children. The Greek doesn't say that. The Greek says, don't enrage your children, which is a bit stronger than just exasperate, which is bad enough. And um, when I read this and thought about it, I thought, well, how did I feel when I was a child about my father and the way he treated me? Did I feel en exasperated or enraged? And um, I must admit, it, not a lot came to mind, so I'm grateful to God for good parents. But one thing that did come to mind was, Homework. Dad, I just want the answer to my physics homework. I don't need the explanation behind it all. But he wanted and needed to give me the full explanation to my physics homework, which I had no interest in whatsoever. But he wanted to give it to me. And do you know what I did with my daughters? I had to give them the explanation, whether they wanted it or not, to their... French homework it was, actually, I remember doing, and, and, and so on. And so we can easily just uh, copy the exasperating tendencies of our, of our fathers or, or parents. But worse than that, 
this provoking to anger, to such frustration at the way you're treating me unfairly or wrongly that I am murderously angry. And we know that can happen and does tragically. Unreasonable demands that fathers, fathers or mothers make of their children, taking no account of their age or ability to understand or capacity to, 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 to do it. Harshness out of our own uh, frustration or insecurity or stress. Harshness. Cruelty. Abuse. Sarcasm. Or ridicule. These are terrible negative tendencies that drive children to frustration and anger. And we've all made mistakes in this area as parents. Of course we have. But notice that Paul says this to them. Don't do this. This is how you can change. You, you, you may have society's right to treat your children however you like, because they did then. They could treat them however they liked. There was no comeback. But rather... Rather, look, bring them up in the with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, thinking about that reminds me of probably the verse that a lot of Christians base their ideas on, or background ideas, from the book of Proverbs. Now, there's this proverb, 22 verse 6, which is, Train a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not Turn from it or depart from it. Familiar with that one? Yes. And, you know, I've, I've known a lot of Christians just, just hang on to that for dear life. That when my child is old and really old, even though they have kicked over the traces and, and, and gone away from God and rejected everything that I tried to, that when they're old they will turn back to God before they die. This verse does not say this and does not promise it. Let's just have a quick look at what's behind. And remember, a proverb is only a general saying that's true. It's not a firm, fixed promise that this will happen exactly in this way in every circumstance. But there is a general, general truth, promise, and um, and positive action to be taken here from this. First of all, there's the word train in the Hebrew. Of course, this is Hebrew, not Greek here in Proverbs. And the word train has two elements to it. First of all, the word train has the element of taming that which is wild. Andrew, in your, in your very helpful, honest piece on video, you, you talked about something like this. I forget the way you put it about bringing something under control, wasn't it? What was it you said? Make, bringing strength under control. That's the, uh, that's the sort of thing. It's like a wild stallion being tamed, not being broken, but being tamed. So that strength of that wild stallion is harnessed and put into a positive direction. Train. Tame what is wild. Not break the spirit of a child, but train and tame. That's the first aspect of it. The second aspect, as well as tame, is give the child a taste of what is good. Give 
your children a taste of what is good. Introduce them to that which is good in life, which includes, of course, the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But it's also about literature and art and music and science and nature and you name it, the list, a taste for that which is good. And then it says, train them in the way they should go. And the phrase there is, according to their bent. Train them. In, In this way of training, do it according to their interests and nature and character. Because as we should know, every child is different. Even twins. Even children in the same family, of course, we know that. We make this mistake. Oh, I treated my second daughter the way we treated our first, and it didn't work. Because they're different. Do you find that? Yeah, yeah, I thought you would. So, but if you, if you treat and train your child, children, according to their interests and character and personality... Having given them a taste for what is good, you will see what, what they lap up and want to do. And then the promise is, when they're old, when you've, you've, you've introduced these things to them, when they're old, the word means when there's hair upon the chin. When they reach adolescence, maturity. Well, you know, it doesn't mean everyone has hair upon the chin, but you know what I mean. When you get to that age, not when you get to old age, When you get to maturity, they will carry on in that way. Now, I find that very positive. It's not not a bland promise that that'll happen easily and smoothly, but it is a principle that we can definitely learn from, I would suggest. Um, Moving on, slaves. Slaves. Gosh, slavery. Now, moving on. (laughs) Look, slavery of any sort is utterly unjustifiable and evil. It is never, ever, ever right for someone to own somebody else and coercively control them in any way. That is always, always wrong. Let's establish that. The Israelites themselves were in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. They cried out to God in their pain and suffering, and God delivered them. The pages of the Old Testament, the prophets especially, time after time speak to the people about two things above everything else. They speak to the people about the sin of idolatry, moving away from God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first commandment. And the second commandment, Jesus said, summarizing the Old Testament, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The prophets preached against idolatry on the one hand and injustice. On the other hand, an injustice was to do with treating people rightly and fairly, especially the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. 
relevant to today, I would say, relevant to all times. Idolatry and injustice. So there is no way that Paul here is saying slavery is a good thing. It's interesting. I read recently an article about something called the Slave Bible. And apparently, this was news to me, but apparently in early ni- the early 19th century, so when the slave trade in the West Indies and uh, the Americas was, was still current but was beginning to be repealed and think change was in the air, the early 19th century, slave owners, in particular in Jamaica, Barbados, and Antigua, produced a... Bible, inverted commas, Bible, to give to their slaves to encourage them to be good slaves. And of course, they love this verse. Not the slaves, the masters, I mean. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Oh, they kept that verse in the slave Bible. They underlined it. They reinforced it. But do you know what they had to do? The slave Bible that they gave out to their slaves, they had to cut out 90% of the Old Testament and 50% of the New Testament. Because the message throughout all of that was a message that preached love, equality, and freedom. And they were scared stiff that these slaves would rise up against them and demand their rights and their freedom. So there's nothing in Scripture, unless you take a verse out of context completely, there's nothing that promotes or even condones slavery. Let's be clear about that. If we look at some other words of Paul, just to reinforce that, um, Neil. Okay. Interestingly, at the top, there's a a section in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where he's saying to people, in whatever state you're in when you became a Christian, when you were saved, that's the state you should stay in. You know, so for example, if you're married and your your spouse isn't a Christian, don't look to divorce them or or leave or, or whatever. And listen, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you are a slave when God called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you are free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. You see, he's not calling for a rebellious change of society, but a revolutionary change of heart. Philemon. Not a book we often preach from or read. It's all about, in fact, it's a letter, a short letter of Paul to a man called Philemon who who led a church in his house and owned slaves as well. Eek. And he had a slave called Onesimus who ran away. Onesimus came into Paul's orbit and contact with Paul and became a Christian. And Paul writes to Philemon Asking, not demanding, not, not exercising control as an apostle over 
others, but asking as a brother in Christ, please, would you receive back Onesimus, not any longer as a slave just, but as a brother, an equal brother in the Lord. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. That's a, that's a very powerful little letter, and well worth reading and thinking about. But that was his appeal to Philemon as a, slave, as a master as to how to receive um, a runaway slave, who, by the way, under law, the masters at the time would have every justification in beating or executing. But instead, Paul says, please, as a brother, I beg you, receive him back as a brother to you. Okay. And then the, next, the last one, which I've quoted already this morning, for general, generally this, look, this, this is the background to everything here in terms of relationships and in how to work them out in the context of the body of Christ, the community of faith, then and now. You are all children of God. Through faith in Christ Jesus, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. Ephesians has told us that. The new humanity in Christ, Jew and Gentile, saved equally, joined together. The dividing wall of hostility broken down. There's no longer slave or free. But, of course, there were still Jews and Gentiles. That's the point. So they had to, they had to learn to live together in harmony and, and love and submitting to one another. And now, slave or free. There were still slaves and free. But they had to learn in the church to actually submit to one another. What? You mean masters would have to submit even to slaves? Yes, in their relationship. That's what we have to learn. Male and female doesn't disappear. Of course, there's still males and females, but they are equal and submit to one another, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, and lastly, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. You see, much more is said to the slaves, but the masters had the more radical message. Don't threaten them. No, never do that. Never, ever, ever, parents or masters or employers or bosses threaten those who are in your care or employment. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. There's the equality message. In the parallel passage in Colossians, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this, Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. The idea of justice for slaves was absolutely unheard of and revolutionary. Last slide. I would like you to go away with these questions and think about them, pray about them, and better still, talk to other people about them. In practice, following on what we've just been looking at, in practice, notice, not some airy-fairy, oh, in the Lord, brother, sort of statement, which is true, but a bit vague, in practice, how should children of all ages honor their parents? In practice, how should parents nurture their children, train, tame, give a taste of what's good, nurture their children? In practice, how should workers, 
I'm bringing it into our context now. I know slavery still exists tragically and terribly, but for most of us, how should workers serve their employers as they would serve Christ? Change of heart. And how should bosses treat their employees with honor and respect? And for all of us, no matter what category or not we fit it into in those first four questions, for all of us, What should submitting to one another in the body of Christ look like? Are they relevant questions? Mikey and team, would you like to come back up? We'll just pray and then we'll close by singing a song all about slavery or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I know that one. Yes. No, whatever. Are we grateful for the Word of God today? Is it relevant to us? Seriously, is it relevant to us? Let's pray then. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you... If the Son of Man sets you free, you're free indeed. Lord, to think that a man or woman in slavery or bond service back then could have heard those words and still experienced your utter freedom despite belonging to a human master is just, it's just mind-blowing. Lord, may we truly step into your freedom that you've purchased for us. And may we, Lord, grow in the grace of honoring and respecting each other, promoting each other's freedom and well-being, wanting, looking out not just for our own interests, but for the interests of others. Lord, giving up our lives more and more self-sacrificially, following your example, Lord Jesus. Lord, fill us again and again with your Spirit that we might speak to one another with encouragement, that we might worship you, Lord, with all our heart, that we might give thanks constantly to you for everything in the name of Jesus, and that we might live in practice submitting to one another, no matter what the culture says or what the world says around us, to live like disciples of Jesus. We ask for your help and grace and change in our lives for your glory, Lord. Amen.